uh, when I was in my like late teens, early 20s, I used to suffer from really bad anxiety issues. And for a time there, I couldn't even get on a plane. I was definitely just too terrified. I'd have a panic attack. I just couldn't even contemplate it. Hello, and thank you for downloading. You're listening to Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, a weekly series looking at unfamiliar places across the world, an aspect of travelling you may never have thought of. I'm your host, Ian Oliver, also known as the Barefoot Backpacker, a middle-aged Brit with a passion for offbeat travel, history, culture, and the whys behind travel itself. So join me as we venture Beyond the Brochure. Hello. As I look out of my window today as I'm writing this, I can see the sun is shining, though the wind is still quite blustery and I'm not quite sure what the temperature is. I was going to go out for a midweek training jog, but then I remembered it was Wednesday and therefore podcast recording day. Because the world would end if I recorded my pods any earlier than the day before they were issued. I mean, end sooner, obviously. One of my close friends has just tweeted, the world kind of feels like it's ending, but I'm in a weirdly good mood. Is this a depressive dream? And I just want to send you all well wishes to have a good day too. It does feel like a weird time, what with inept world leaders, unusual weather, fears of pandemics and chaos in the supermarkets. But at least I have toilet paper. What I don't have is dried noodles, but conversely I haven't opened my packet of rice yet and there's always couscous. In my experience, there is always couscous. When people start panic buying and hoarding chocolate... That's when I'll get scared. People have told me that my voice is quite soothing and restful, and I'm sure I've said before that someone once told me, when I talk about my travels, I sound a bit like an old man in a quiet rural pub telling his tales around an open fire like a traditional storyteller. This does also mean, though, that I may be relatively good in calming the populace out in the aftermath of Armageddon. Please stay at home and listen for further announcements. We shall be on the air every hour, on the hour. Stay tuned to this wavelength, but switch your radios off now to save your batteries. That is the end of this broadcast. Except for listeners in Scotland and Northern Ireland, where the end of the world will take place 40 minutes later. And yes, I know that joke was done on the TV comedy show Naked Video. Great series that, by the way. I mean, on the whole, I'd rather it didn't come to that. But humans are weird. Anyway... So what have you all been doing this senite? And yes, that is a very pretentious word, and I ought to stop using it. I've barely left the house this week, as I've not had the need to. Though, continuing the thread of these last two podcasts, I got out of bed on Monday only about 12.30 in the afternoon, because I simply didn't feel I had anything to get up for, because mentally I didn't think anything I'd do would be worth the effort. Fortunately, the feeling passed. But even so, it's a little concerning. I obviously did go out for parkrun on Saturday, and had an absolute blast, I may say. You may recall I mentioned that timing was a little unofficial last week. So, with the recorded time of 26 minutes dead now being a personal best, I became a little mithered about whether or not I'd ever be able to break the 26-minute barrier, and so for all time, my best time would be dubious. 
Well, it was dubious for a week. I mean, the conditions weren't perfect. It was a little cold and windy. But after half a lap, I was feeling pretty good with myself, albeit pushing pretty hard. Turns out I may have pushed harder than I expected. Not only did I break 26 minutes, but I actually even broke 25, something I thought that had been beyond me for a decade or two. So my fastest time is now 24 minutes and 24 seconds, which is an absolutely incredible time and one I'm not expecting to repeat at any point in the near future. I mean, maybe if I could be mither to go for midweek training runs, I'll get close again one day. Or if I went to a park run that was flatter, maybe. But I grew up as a cross-country runner. I like hills. Though that's not what I say when I'm halfway up the last hill on the final lap each week. Sometimes I find the thing with running is that the best thing about it is the time about half an hour after you finish when you think, wow, I did some good running today. I nearly burnt down the kitchen on Saturday night. I don't know how well you follow and know me, but many of you know just how inept I am around hot things in general. This time I was grilling burgers and just as they were done, flames started leaping from the grill pan. It turns out that hot fat was dripping onto a tin foil lining covering the base of the pan, and eventually there was enough of it to set itself alight. Nothing a good couple of puffs didn't resolve, insert your own blowjob joke here, but any longer and it might have been blanket smothering and fire brigade time. Fortunately the same didn't happen yesterday with more burgers, because I fried them rather than grilling them. This is not the first time I've managed to cause fire in a kitchen. In fact, I think it's the fourth. Usually it's carelessly placed kitchen roll that causes it, so hot fat is unusual. A fifth time that didn't cause flames but did produce smoke and trip my electrics was when we, well I, had a logical brainwave that you could make cheese on toast in a toaster if you turn the toaster on its side. It took about five to six seconds to work out why people grill it instead. Basically, if I were a stereotypical Dungeons & Dragons character, I'd have an intelligence of about 16 and a wisdom of about 7. Not necessarily great for a druidy type person like me. Don't call on me to join your party. Other than that, it's been a fairly uneventful week. I'm still in discussions with my would-be publisher with regards to my travel log on West Africa, but I think we're closing in on that now after I've spoken to a few friends in the writing community. It's all jolly exciting. Of course, this doesn't mean I'm a published author under my own right yet. There's a lot of re-editing and the like to go through first. Hopefully, that won't take as long as it did to write the original story. I also had a long catch-up over Skype with a very good friend abroad I've not properly spoken to in what seems like an age. Uh, we spoke for about two and a half hours, and I'm amazed my net connection only dropped once, and that at the very end when we were talking about something as inconsequential as North American time zones. Central time zone is the second most populous in the USA, fact fans. I'd assumed it would have been the Pacific time zone, but turns out that almost nobody lives outside California except in Seattle. I'm fairly inattentive, so I'll often have long periods between speaking to people, but it always feels so good afterwards to have caught up with them. This reminds me, I owe one of my other long-standing friends an email, actually. It's only been a year. As I say, I've not left the house this week since Sunday lunchtime. This hasn't been for self-isolation reasons, but simply because I haven't felt the need to. I am headed back to Kirkby and Ashfield for a day trip tomorrow, though. My friend Amy has, once again, made too much curry, and I am the natural home for her excess food. It's also beer week in Sheffield, which is very tempting, although it's not until Friday that one of the bigger pubs in the city, the Devonshire Cat, I believe, is having an LGBT tap takeover, so that might be interesting. I did once see a beer called Aromantica, but that was probably just a coincidence. So, to the topic this week of mental health. I asked a few people on Twitter about their experiences of mental health while travelling and got a variety of responses. Let's start with a short one, though. My Swedish friend Inga talking about a practical concern about medication she had when she was travelling. I once went to Tunisia. 
and uh, forgot that I should probably take medication with me. I left it back home in my kitchen in Stockholm. And when I got there, I discovered there were only two psychiatrists in the whole country who would prescribe uh, antidepressants. At that time, it's quite a long time ago. Um, both of those psychiatrists were on holiday, just like me. Uh, I don't know where they went, though, so I couldn't track them down and I had to go without my medication for a week, which is all right, but two months would not be all right. I'd um, probably have to interrupt my, my trip, actually, and go back home if that if I'd lose it. Hannah, from Pages, Places and Plates, talks about how she mitigates for her and her partner's anxiety issues, seemingly taking to heart the maxim of knowledge is power, including a very detailed level of planning that makes me anxious just thinking about it. Mental health is something I really have to think about when travelling, as both me and my partner suffer from mental health issues, and and these have a big impact on us when we are actually travelling. One of the main things we have to consider is the destination that we're going to. We often um, tend to go to the Canaries because we know it and it fits our requirements, but when we are looking for a new place, we have to make sure that it's not an overwhelming place with too much going on, and it's not crowded, and we need to make sure the flights are relatively short as well, as my partner and it does suffer with anxiety when it comes to flying. Something we need to think about is having space for each other to wind down um, if we need it. So say a day's been particularly stressful and we need to just get away, we need to make sure we have sufficient space in our apartment to do that, So um, especially if we're travelling with other people. We also need to make sure we have the tools needed to wind down. So both of us are really into gaming, so we take handheld consoles along with us. I take a notebook so I can write because that helps me too. Um, and I also make sure there's a space so that I can do some yoga or meditation if that will help me. It's really just thinking about um, how we can chill out and how we can stop the anxiety overtaking while we're out there. One thing um, I'm also really focused on when traveling is planning. We always draw up an itinerary before we travel because we have found that we're really bad at decision making. And, and this is definitely something that can come up with mental health issues. For example, if we don't have an itinerary and we go out and say we don't know where we're going to eat, we will literally spend hours walking around not being able to choose where to eat. Um, and then we end up going for somewhere maybe we weren't particularly motivated about or just eating something we didn't really want and or even just getting too late into the evening without eating and then just kind of giving up so we always write an itinerary where we put on it the activities we're going to do for the day the places we want to go for food so we do a lot of research beforehand and we also have a budget that we kind of add on to the itinerary so we can make sure we're spending as planned and my mental health issues definitely get worse when I'm worried about finances so this is a really big one for me personally and so I know that we're on track and I know there's nothing to worry about when money is concerned. I think the main thing really, um, if you are traveling and you have mental health issues, is you just need to take the time out beforehand to understand your own needs and what it is you need to be thinking about. And really just putting a, a plan in place um, for in case anything goes wrong. So think about if you get delayed at the airport, for example, what might help you cope with that? If the activities you want to do are cancelled, is there a backup plan or something else that you can do rather than you frantically trying to find something to do and then ending up wasting your whole day and um, because you're anxious about it so really just make sure you've prepared everything in advance and um, and even if it does go wrong you know then you've got your plan you've got your backup plan you've got your backup backup plan if you need it and then everything you know will be okay um, and that's the main thing really amanda from not a ballerina 
gives her background with anxiety issues and what happened when she took them abroad to live in a foreign country for a short time. So what I have to say about mental health and travel is actually something that happened to me kind of 15 plus years ago. Back in my late teens, early 20s, I suffered really badly from anxiety. I ended up dropping out of uni, um, finishing my degree externally, you know, through distance education. Uh, there was a good six months where I barely left the house, so it was pretty, pretty severe. And then over the next few years, uh, I managed to, you know, bounce back from that reasonably well, but there's still lots of things that would invoke anxiety. So, for example, um, you know, driving on fast, busy roads or things like going up in lifts was a, an anxiety producing thing for me and a bunch of kind of triggers, basically, which would make me anxious. And, uh, then, oh, and at the time I couldn't even fly. For a good couple of years, I wouldn't even fly because that was definitely too anxiety provoking for me. But anyway, I still had this urge and bug to travel. And when I was 25, I got a job in Japan teaching English. So this was kind of a big deal, but I really, really wanted to leave my hometown and do something new. So I did it. But I was pretty terrified. I actually had lots of uh, nightmares before I left. I my biggest fear was being kind of trapped in a train. You know where they you see the videos of the people pushing you into the train, and it's you know super crowded. Um, in reality, that a never really happened to me, and b when it was a bit crowded, I was much taller than the average Japanese, so it was fine. I could totally breathe. But anyway, the point I want to make is that when I left Perth, I still had lots of things that would um, trigger anxiety for me, and sometimes panic attacks as well. But then I moved to Japan. I changed everything about my life. Like suddenly I was doing a different job and I loved it. Um, living in a different place, had new friends. Everything was different. Nothing, and you know, everything about my life, because, you know, Japan's pretty different, was different. And um, after not that long, I realized that really I just didn't feel anxious anymore. And it was as though that complete change of pace and lifestyle and circumstances and everything had just kind of really broken the cycle, stopped all those triggers, and the anxiety was practically gone. So to this day, now and again, especially if I'm kind of overworked or stressed or something really full on going on, I'll still get, you know, some anxiety symptoms, but nothing like back in my um, late teens, nothing even close. And yeah, from that time on, from that first time when I was living abroad and traveling, it practically disappeared. So I credit traveling with, you know, kind of saving me and fixing up my life in some ways. And I'm really grateful for it. I'm honoured to have a contribution now from Liana Lee, a freelance journalist who runs the Lost Lass website, but who also co-hosts the mental wellness podcast MXV, aimed at improving mental health amongst freelancers and businesses. She talks about her experiences of travel with PTSD, how that affects the way she travels, and how she mitigates it. So what I think about uh, in terms of mental health for travel is my own experience with PTSD. So in 2012, um, I uh, was assaulted coming home from work one night, and this was it. This was where I lived, you know, right by where I lived in, in Chicago. And it really, really like drastically shifted how I viewed travel. And I was, I was basically, I was just too scared to do it. And, and that went on for several years. I think my first solo trip after that was probably two, two and a half years later. So it took a while. Granted, I was not in therapy at that point. So that's, you know, telling its own story there. Story for a different time. Anyway, so it's something that I had to almost relearn. 
And uh, it's been a particular struggle because for me, uh, my PTSD, one of my biggest triggers is being out after dark. And as you can imagine, that makes travel a little tricky. So that's something that I've had to I've kind of work through. And I've managed it to some extent. I can't say it isn't still an issue because it still is even on a daily basis. But when it comes to travel, I, I've been fortunate because I have been able to, you know, you plan these trips ahead of time if it's not something you do very, very, very consistently. You know, if you're a constant traveler, maybe you put a little less time and thought into complete preparations. I try to plan and research as much as I can ahead of time. Anything from several different travel options for each transportation mode, um, you know, when the last bus comes in, that sort of thing. Get Just getting to know the transportation systems really well, how safe they are, which parts aren't safe. Uh, researching locations, what are the best neighborhoods, and hopefully building a network everywhere I go. Is that That's the idea, is to to make sure I see, feel safe no matter where I am. And And that takes tends to take a bit of work beforehand. And sometimes I just have to be deliberate about where I stay, who I'm with, um, that kind of thing. But as, as it always happens, things eventually do go wrong. And I can think of just off the top of my head, you know, I've, I've, you know, gotten off on the wrong stop, I've ended up in the wrong state in the wrong country. Well, not country, but definitely city. I think countries are a little harder to miss. But um, you know, I've ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time. I've definitely been the only person waiting for an overnight bus at like 11 p.m. and it's pitch black and there's like someone lighting up a cigarette 20 feet away and I'm just not sure if it's safe or not. And it's easy to panic. And I remember, you know, even things like your plans going awry when it is safe. And I remember one time there was a, a motor car accident or motorcyclist accident in the middle of nowhere in Scotland. And uh, it was hard not to panic because I had places to be and things to do and my plans were completely flipped upside down. So um, something that's really helped me is, well, two things. Um, one is like physical grounding yourself sort of in the space, in the moment, kind of checking in with each sense, you know, where am I? What am I doing? What am I feeling right now? What am I thinking? Um, well, you probably know what you're thinking and it's probably a wild swirl of anxiety, but, um, you know, Feeling the space, you know, what, what am I seeing? What am I hearing? That sort of thing, you know, going through all five senses and, and planting yourself in the here and now. And then, you know, preparation. So, you know, if you're stuck somewhere, there's not really much you can do, is there? You can entertain yourself, but, you know, there's probably not much you can do to prepare. But you, if you feel unsafe, you're worried about your situation, you know, doing things like messaging a friend, making sure your phone is charged, uh, checking to see that you have something ready to hand that you can use as a weapon if necessary. I mean, none of these things are things that we really want to talk about, but I find immeasurable relief in having something I could just conk someone upside the head with in the case of an emergency. Just knowing that it's there and that I can defend myself is a huge comfort. So I, I don't mean to, you know, uh, get really dark here, but little things like that can help you kind of get yourself out of that that cyclical thinking and help the 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 panic attack the the kind of cycle of anxiety pass away and and then hopefully you'll be able to deal with the situation a little bit more calmly. Finally, I'd like to introduce my good friend and creator of the Twitter travel chat PT Travel. Kate Frankie Brennan, who talks about travel for work and the sort of places that she goes to in order to chill. 
So mental health, I think that when I was younger, I definitely had times when I thought I had to keep going on trips, especially when I was backpacking. It was quite difficult some days and I would just try to push through it. Um, I've ended up in tears before in complete panic. It was before I really understood that I suffered from high functioning anxiety and that can be quite difficult even uh, now. I travel for business a lot and I have to have ways of kind of coping with it. So I think one of the things that I do is I really try to plan in rest days or periods of time during a work week or a even if I'm traveling for kind of my own pleasure, then I'll take a day where I can just have no plans. I'll try not to look at emails, try not to work too late at night, get up on a morning and actually go to the gym a lot of the time. If I'm staying in a hotel, that really helps. But also just being really self-aware of how I'm feeling, kind of checking in with myself, I suppose, is one of the best ways that I find to deal with it. I think the travel actually uh, helps me to deal with quite a lot. It's quite beneficial to me in terms of my mental health. Um, I really like to explore and to travel to see different places, but it also kind of physically takes you away from the day-to-day um, work environment or if I'm struggling with um, things with my family. So over the past few years, we've had a lot of family uh, illnesses and both of my parents have had cancer and that has been quite tough. So having that physical kind of space and distance can help to like put things in perspective um, and to just take you emotionally and mentally away from the place where there's a lot going on. I've also faced redundancy a couple of times um, and had to change jobs or have job interviews and it's all worked out for the better and I actually have travel in my job description now so I get to see a lot of amazing places so it all worked out well but there are definitely there have been tough times in terms of career um, where I've taken a break and I've gone for a couple of weeks um, on a solo trip by myself and part of it has been to kind of mentally go away, have some relaxation time um, and a bit of self-care. I think mental health self-care is such an important element just of life. This is why I'm really very, I, I think it's really beneficial to have uh, something like part-time travel. So I promote part-time travel all of the time. And I think this is the perfect way to try and force yourself almost to have a life balance where all of the different areas of your life kind of, you you make yourself rest or, or just get out to a different place, uh, which can really help. It, it definitely helps me anyway to get away from the the kind of nine to five and the home life kind of stuff. So I think part-time travel really helps me to have quite a varied lifestyle and to plan in rest periods where I take care of my physical, emotional, mental health. Um, and that is something that I would recommend to anyone thinking about 
how to do that. I think part-time travel is a perfect way to build that in. In terms of a style of travel or kind of place to go to that I think would be personally beneficial for me for my mental health, the style would usually be a solo trip or small group trip. So I've met a lot of great people on small group trips, but again, sometimes you just want to get away by yourself and not have to kind of deal with other people and kind of compromise. Sometimes you just want to be able to take your own lead and go where you want. So I think solo trips really help me too. Um, the type of place, it can actually be a really busy city. It can be completely secluded beach. It could be in the mountains, in forest. But I think one of the main things for me is that there has to be some element of nature at some point during it. I think nature and connecting to nature really helps me. So whether it's just within a city going for a walk by the river or just getting out one day to a forest area or um, doing a little trek up a hill and kind of seeing a really nice scenic view, just something where I can get out into nature. Beaches are great for that as well. There's usually kind of coastline in most places that you go to, but if not, just getting out to countryside if you're kind of landlocked. Um, and I think that's the kind of style and place that really helps for my mental health. There's one further contribution I'm waiting for from someone who's also very important to me and who has mental health experiences. So when that comes in, I'll edit it in and re-upload the pod. I think that's about all for this episode. I would talk about the next episode at this point, but who knows what it'll be about. By rights, it should be another geographical destination-based episode. I'm not quite ready to talk about London yet, so I'm guessing it might be on the Outer Hebrides or somewhere. Hey, remember when I used to do a lesser-known destination of the week segment on my earlier pods? That didn't last long, did it? It's fun to see how podcasts, and indeed ideas in general, develop over time, isn't it? But until then, remember, vodka can't be used as hand sanitizer. You're better off drinking it. And if you're feeling off-colour, keep on getting better. Thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to leave a review on your podcast site of choice. I'm pretty bad at that sort of thing myself, so I'll understand perfectly if you don't. Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure was written, presented, edited and produced in the Kirkby and Asheville studio by the Barefoot Backpacker. Music in this episode was Walking Barefoot on Grass, bonus, by Kai Engel, which is available via the Free Music Archive and used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International Licence. Previous episodes of this podcast will be available on your podcast service of choice, or alternatively on my website, barefoot-backpacker.com. If you want to contact me, I live on Twitter at rtwbarefoot, or you can email me at info at barefoot-backpacker.com. Until next time, have a safe journey. Bye for now.